0: To say is Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an honor, sir. So, the moral of the story, of course, is that it is okay if you are different, so long as that difference is useful to people and can save the day. Otherwise, you're an outcast, and apparently, you know, you can make fun of them, and it's not such a big deal. No one seems to be dealing with the bullying or anything like that. You know, he saved the day. Now everyone likes him. Real friends. Real friends, those guys. Oh, goodness. I love that story. But Rudolph is kind of a, an iconic picture. He's, he's one of the icons of Christmas. And in this series, we've been looking at different icons that the world has of Christmas, different stories that we have in, in our culture that we can kind of look in behind the curtains and see if we can find some sort of pictures about what the real meaning of Christmas is really all about. And so I picked Rudolph because Rudolph is not the only character who started off being completely rejected by everybody and then went on and did something heroic and became famous for it. In fact, the main story of Jesus is very much like this. Look at the way that the beginning of the book of John talks about who Jesus was. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, if you're even a little bit familiar with the story of Jesus, throughout his entire life, he just faced obstacle after obstacle, opposition after opposition. People were just gunning after him. Some people liked him. You know, they liked it when he, they fed him. You know, when he fed them all of that food with the fish and the loaves, that was kind of cool. They liked it when he healed someone, especially if they were the one being healed. That was nice. But then Jesus would say things like, I am God. And the only way you get to the Father is through me. And, well, they didn't like that so much. And so there was a lot of people who opposed him. In fact, there's even one instance where he raised Lazarus, who's this friend of Jesus. He raised him from the dead. Some people thought that was amazing, but the religious leaders looked at that and said, yeah, we have got to kill this guy. This is not okay. So Jesus faced opposition after opposition. People did not like him. Even his own family thought he was a little bit nuts. So everyone either thought he was crazy or he was evil. And ultimately, the very people he came to rescue hung him up on a cross and killed him. That was his plan from the beginning, but still it's interesting to see how much he was rejected by the people who were supposed to know him and understand him. But unlike Rudolph, who now is a holiday favorite and everybody loves Rudolph, People still don't like Jesus very much. Now, again, some people do. There's a large number of people in this world. I think it's more than a billion, two billion people in this world would say, Yeah, Jesus, he's my guy. I like him. So some people do like him. And people like when Jesus says we should love each other. When Jesus says let's be kind to one another. They like that. When Jesus says that he needs to be more important than even your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter. I need to be the most important person in your life. Well, they don't like that so much. Now, this is not a surprise to Jesus. He knew that he wasn't going to be liked by everybody. In fact, he says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth, which is interesting since Christmas is all about joy and peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace but a sword. What does he mean by that? He means when I say who I really am and when I say I need to be king of your life, people are not going to like it. They're going to turn against me and they're going to get violent against me. He knew it. He knew it was coming. But it gets better too. Not only did Jesus know that, well, he was going to create chaos and people were not going to like him, but he knew that his followers were also going to suffer the same consequence. Have a look at uh, the the way Jesus talks to his disciples before he went on the cross. He says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Isn't that nice? Nice little Christmassy message. So this is the world we live in, right? I mean, this is the way that we live. We follow a Jesus who is liked by some and hated by others. And we as followers are also liked by some and hated by others. And so we live in a world that just like Rudolph, on Christmas Eve, as our world is making its way through the murky fogginess that is our culture, it does not know where it is going. It does not see what is ahead. It thinks it does, but it doesn't. And we want to help We want to shine Jesus' light, right? We want to pave the way forward for our culture, to know what it means to be human, to know what it means to live the best life possible. And so we flick on our red nose and we shine that light for Jesus. And some people appreciate it. And they see where they're going and they thank us for it. And some people turn against us. Some people don't like it. In fact, many people would say that it is oppressive and wrong and judgmental and small-minded and all sorts of other names to shine that light and to claim that that is the way that humanity should go. And so we become the unpopular ones. And darn it all if culture won't let us play all their reindeer games, right? Now, I'm interested to hear from you a little bit because... Many of you have had different experiences, and I wonder if any of you have experienced something of that rejection, something of the isolation, or something of the insults or the persecution because you say you are a follower of Jesus, that the world has perhaps turned against you. So I wanted a little bit of time. Does anyone have an example, something that has happened to them that they would like to share about a time that, Being a follower of Jesus meant that we were unpopular in the world. Sometimes we like to do this. We like to get you guys to talk instead of just listening. Anyone? Lane? You know what? Liam is going to come back with the microphone. friends when I told them that I was a Christian they didn't want to be friends with me anymore really yeah it must have been really hard Yeah. thank you for sharing that has anyone else experienced that whether in school or in your jobs no okay I was interested to see what kind of response I would get from that because In some ways, we recognize that this is true, right? We recognize that being a follower of Jesus means that some people won't like us. But I also suspect that it hasn't quite caught up with many of us yet. And maybe it's only happened in subtle ways. That's a pretty emphatic way that it happened to Lane, where friends just like, nah, not your friend anymore. That's that's pretty heavy. But most of us, it hasn't really impacted our lives that much has it i mean maybe there are things that i know i can't say at work maybe there are parts of myself that i need to keep quiet i know i've been in conversations and i thought if they ask me what i do for a living that's going to create some interesting moments in this conversation you know and i kind of (laughs) if i'm being honest i (laughs) hope that they don't ask me that because you know the conversation is going really nicely I know there are certain things that I can't say about what I do or why I do the certain things a certain way because it's going to come across very, very wrong. Sometimes I need to just say it anyway and just let the chips fall where they may. But we just there's very subtle ways. But I would like to say that that is not always going to be the case in this country. I think we need only look in other countries around the world to see that the opposition to faith gets stronger and stronger. There are some places around the world where it is illegal to be a Christian. There are some places where if you tell your neighbor about Jesus and they become a Christian because of it, you could both lose your heads. There are places where if you meet as a church, they will come and try and burn that church to the ground. There are places around the world like this and they, it seems very different and distinct and other, doesn't it? Because we still have this sense that we're still kind of a Christian nation and we still kind of are. There's a tolerance towards Christianity. And yet we also see that in the decisions that our leaders are making, that in the way that the culture is moving, it is moving further and further away from the values that we hold dear. And what that means it is putting us more and more into situations where we have to choose between a wide divide of values and things that are important to us. Which side of this debate do I sit on? And it becomes quite impactful. We had a couple of referendums recently that brought some of this to light. We had a conversation about abortion last year early yeah last year that brought this to light these conversations going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and every time they come the where the culture sits on that issue is going to be further and further away from where we sit and it is eventually going to become harder and harder to say things like yes I am a Christian this is such an uplifting message for Christmas isn't it glad tidings I bring to all of you But this is the reality, and I think if we are not aware of this reality, it's going to sneak up on us, and it's going to affect us in ways that we do not want it to affect us. So, I thought I would take an opportunity, since we have Rudolph in front of us, the unwanted hero, that we have some things that we can do to help us navigate and live in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile towards us. There is a guy in the Bible by the name of Peter, and Peter is no... Um, stranger to this sort of oppression. Uh, He's been jailed for it. He's been whipped for being a Christian. And these are by leaders of his own people who really should have recognized Jesus for who he was. But anyway, he's been told, do not talk about Jesus. He's been told, if you do, you're going to get thrown in prison. And and Peter says, (laughs) okay, but I'm going to keep talking about Jesus because I can't help it. He gets thrown in prison. And he's had all of these sort of experiences. And then he is now writing a letter to a group of churches who are experiencing the same thing. Around the Roman Empire, the Romans didn't like the Christians either. They saw a lot of the things the Christians were doing and they were like, I don't get that. Uh, they saw us taking communion, uh, eating the, the flesh and blood of Jesus and they're like, they're cannibals. That's bad. You know, they, they saw all of these agape feasts or love feasts, and they interpreted love the wrong way and thought there was all sorts of untoward things happening. They see Christians refusing to worship Caesar, and they're like, these guys are atheists. They don't have any idols. They don't have any sort of statues that they worship. They didn't understand, and so they used that as an excuse to persecute. Around about the time that this letter was being written, um, there was all sorts of persecutions happening against Christians. People were dying. Um, Some pretty horrific things with younger ones in the audience. I won't describe. Um, But they were fully aware in ways we aren't yet that being a Christian may mean being a stranger, being an enemy, being rejected by the people that they love and the culture that they're part of. So, Peter then writes to these churches about how to navigate this culture. And he recognizes that there's a few responses that we tend to gravitate towards when our culture turns against us. The first is fear. He's, the, he recognizes that we become very afraid of being a Christian in a culture like this. And we see the punishments that are coming on us, and we think, is it really worth it? Is this really what I am? Am, am I really gutsy enough? to stand up and express my faith in a culture like this. And so we hide away and we become less and less vocal. Not saying that being overly vocal is a good idea either, but we become less and less willing to admit who we are and we become more and more afraid of what they will do to us. That was one response he saw. Another response was that we kind of go tit for tat. We kind of go on the offensive. And we say, you insult me, I'll insult you, you know, and and we go after them. You can see this in a lot of modern day apologetics. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. And we have these debates. And some of those debates are fantastic and they're amazing and they're great ways of defending the faith. But sometimes it comes across like we're just attacking culture. The culture is attacking us, well, we'll attack them. You think that we're old-fashioned and blah, blah, blah. Well, you guys are heathens and terrible people and you can see that happening, right? You can see the placards, you can see the protests, and you can see ways that we have attacked back. And so he says, okay, look, I see that these are ways that we often respond to a culture that turns against us, but I've got some different ways. And in chapter 3, he gives us four different things that we can do. I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to look through them. But he says, Even if you suffer for doing what is right... And by that, he, he knows that they will. God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, They'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So there's four things in here that I think that we could look at. The first thing is to trust the reward. He says, don't be afraid of what they're going to do to you because God's going to reward you. Now, it's not a mathematical thing. It's not a financial thing necessarily, but it's an understanding of, of what is coming. You know what? Um, There's a great verse when Jesus is talking to the people around him in his famous sermon on the mount. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were treated in the same way. So, Peter tells us not to be afraid of their threats because we have this reward in heaven waiting for us. And he says, think about what is coming and weigh that up against what you're going through right now. And then ask, is it worth it? Because what God is coming is so much more than what we are going to experience now. If we believe that that's actually true you notice how that kind of comes back on us a little bit doesn't it if we really do believe that this baby jesus that we keep singing about really did do the things that the bible says that he did if we believe that he truly is the hope of the world that if if he really does welcome us into his family for eternity, if we believe all of that stuff, and the world says we're crazy for thinking it, but if we actually believe that it is true, then what can come against us? We can face down any persecution. We can face down any opposition, any attack, because, man, look what's coming. But if we don't really believe that to be true, like if we just say that we believe it to be true, but it's not really like we're not really holding on to that, when those waves come, we're just going to get washed away because it won't be worth it. When push comes to shove, it just simply won't be worth it. Yeah? So that's not a criticism. That's not a critical thing that I want you to take on. I just want you to understand that this is more about what we say and what we think, but what we truly believe in our hearts. And it may be worthwhile over this Christmas period to dwell on that just a little bit because we all face issues in our lives we all face difficulties but if we dwell on who Jesus truly is be honest with ourselves about who we believe him to be it changes our perspectives on things and if we don't know then let's explore talk to us talk to each other help each other take your next step towards Jesus if we do believe it, then we can say with Jesus that here on earth we will have many trials and sorrows, but we will take heart because He has overcome the world. Second thing he says is to worship Jesus as Lord. The key part is the end, as Lord. We worship Jesus, but we worship Him not just as this really cool historical dude who kind of did some miracles and taught some really cool things, right? We worship Jesus as King, as Lord, as overall, authoritatively, in charge, the big cheese. And I think what that means is we keep Him front and center in our lives, and we stick with Him even when the world does not, even when other Christians don't really stick with Him. Jesus said that all the time. There'll be people who say, Lord, Lord, but man, I don't know them because they're not really committed. But if we stick with him as our king, we can stay close to him. Now, one of the ways that we do this, and this is going to sound a little bit shallow, but let me explain. One of the ways that we do this is by continuing to come along to gatherings like this on a Sunday morning. Okay? Now, this is going to sound like I'm trying to pull a plug because I, I, I want to get the seats filled, all right? And I'll, oftentimes, that, that is a very real temptation for church leadership. Okay? But that's not what I'm saying here. The reason I believe that we need to come and to gather into these spaces and to worship together is because this is where we charge ourselves up. This is where we get that strength. There is something about being gathered in a community that spurs us on and strengthens us. Have you experienced this? Have you experienced coming along on a Sunday morning and like, ah, I would much rather be in bed right now. Me, I would much rather be in bed right now. But then we come and we just, God's presence is here in a way that we don't always recognize it when we're by ourselves. And we see each other and we spur each other on and we have that conversation. And maybe we pray for someone. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just have chit chat. But there's that, that camaraderie. That out in the world, like, sometimes I feel like I'm on my own. Sometimes I'm like one Christian in a sea of people who just think I'm an idiot. But I come here and I'm amongst my people. And maybe everyone here doesn't fully on board with all of that. And that's fine. We're exploring. We're all on our own journeys. But there's this camaraderie about we at least we're on board with the concept you know there's some possibilities here and we have that togetherness we're not on our own we are a family i really think we need to hold on to that and we need to resist the temptations that we get to just maybe put something else in front right because again the world has everything else in front There are way more important things than church in the eyes of the world. And it's very easy to get into, well, it's just a church service. And yes, it is. And God is everywhere. He's not just here on a Sunday morning. He's in our hearts. He's with us all the time. But we just get the sense of like, I've got this thing going on. I'll just do that. And that may be fine. And that may be a very good thing. And you're not going to be, we're not taking attendance and you're not going to get judgment from us. But sometimes that is the world trying to pull us away, not just from doing church, but from gaining that strength of engaging with each other and coming closer to Jesus together. Does that make sense? So when you hear me say, come along, be part of the church services, be part of small groups, get involved. I'm not doing that because it bumps my numbers and I feel good about myself. Sometimes I do feel good about myself when that happens, but that's besides the point. The reason I'm saying these things is because this is what helps us grow closer to Jesus. All right, lecture over. I was going to read you Hebrews where it um, talks about not giving up on our gatherings, but we'll do that another time. The third part that he mentions is be ready to share your story. He says, if anyone asks you for the hope that you have as a believer, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. Now, a lot of people think that means, okay, I've got to study the Bible, I've got to have all of these verses together, and I've got to have this sort of three-point salvation plan about how you know we sin, and then Jesus came down to forgive us, and now we can go back to heaven if, if we you know do all of this sort of stuff, and, and, and we want to know that stuff. I mean, that's good to know. <clears throat> but really what we're talking about here is your story. People don't want to know... This is going to sound sacrilegious, but people don't want to know what the Bible says about Jesus, not right away. They want to know what you say about Jesus. I've often heard that um, this, this phrase that you are the only Bible that many people are going to ever read. It is your life, your story that changes people's hearts and turns them towards guides them into the space where they can get to know Jesus through the Bible, right? We don't want to leave the Bible out. This is is not a useless book. But the first step for so many people is you. It is your life that makes them ask that question in the first place. And it is your story of what Jesus has done that gives them reason to explore further. Does that make sense? And of course, we do that with gentleness and respect. There's this thing we we started doing, um, many of you know Frances Tangaloa and the incredible journey that she's been on, um, suffering abuse and then, and then finding hope through Jesus. That's the kind of story, by the way, that just changes lives. We don't have to have a dramatic story like that, it just has to be authentic. But we are starting to capture some of these stories on film and so that we can share them and we're going to share Frances's at some point and um, we'd like to gather more stories. Again, it doesn't have to be dramatic. But if you're interested in sharing your story of what Jesus has done for you and let us film it and stuff, talk to Nate or talk to myself because we would love to do that. All right? Just a little seed for you to put there. All right, last thing that, that Peter tells us. This is kind of important. He says, keep a clear conscience. What does he mean by that? He means live a good life as much as possible. You know, we're all broken people, we're all fallible, and often the world expects Christians to be perfect, and if we do one thing wrong, then they'll just run us through the ringer. We can't change that. But we also can stop ourselves from flipping to the other extreme, where we come on Sunday and talk a big game, and then Monday through Saturday, we just don't care. Because they don't see us on Sunday, do they? They see us Monday through Saturday. And they know what kind of people we are, and then we say things like, oh no, I believe in Jesus and you really shouldn't be living that way. And <laughs> are you kidding me? I see the way you live. Go away, you know. And, and that closes the door. So he says, keep a k- clear conscience. Conscience. Because when they look at your life, they're going to want to slander what you say, but when you back it up with authentic, godly, loving living, especially that loving part, they will, the Bible says, be ashamed. They will be kind of, they're going to eat crow because they just, they can't bring anything against you when you're living such a good life. Does that make sense? The way we live our lives backs up the things that we say. All right. Jesus never said that life was going to be easy. Quite the opposite. He never said that being his followers was going to be easy. He says some interesting things like, come to me all you are weary and I will give you rest. And he does. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then we, he also says, if you're willing to hate your mother and father to be my disciple, you're not worthy of me. And we think these are contradictory. He gives us that strength which makes our burden light. But he asks for full commitment. And when we do, he knows that the world is going to turn against us. And in fact, we almost think if the world never turns against us, or if we never receive any opposition for our lives, are we showing them who we really are? Or are we fitting in too nicely? How's that for a challenge? I know that for me probably not enough people in my life know where I stand. I'm just going to be honest. I I, I have that fear. So we all need to kind of dive into this. Have that confidence. Man, this is worth something, right? Because like I said, the world is in a fog. We can see it. We have this perspective on life that if we believe to be true, then we believe the world is in trouble. We believe that they are going 100 miles an hour straight into the fog and they don't see the mountain in front of them. They don't see the danger that is coming, but we do. And so Jesus is saying, look, I have given you a red nose to shine a light out into that fog and to show people the way. They will hate you for it, many of them. Some of them won't. Some of them will see that light. Some of them will see the mountain. And maybe, just maybe, they will turn to God. And wouldn't that be worth it? I read before from John chapter 1, talking about Jesus, said He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, but even they rejected Him. But, To all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let us shine our light for the sake of those who would be saved. For those people who need to know what Christmas really is all about, we can show them. Even a great peril to ourselves. That's okay because he is with us every step of the way. Let me pray. Lord, we, um, sometimes we resonate with poor Rudolph and, and we, we know that whether we have or will, that there is opposition to the way that we live our lives, the things that we believe in our minds and our hearts to be true. They don't understand. They don't recognize us because they don't recognize you. That's what you said. They hate us because they first hated you. And that can be discouraging. Lord, help us to use this message from Peter to, to stand firm in your reward, to stay close to you, to worship you as Lord, to gather together as a community, to be ready to share our story and to keep a clear conscience, to live a good life. Help us to do those things so that we can shine the light and that maybe someone will see it and recognize it for what it is. It's in your name we pray. Amen.